This is Wednesday's Women, hosted by Caitlin and Taylor. We invite you to join us in a candid conversation about the roles of women in political organizing and beyond, as we celebrate the centennial celebration of the 19th Amendment. We hope that you find this episode educational, entertaining, and the women we discuss inspiring. If you like what you hear, subscribe and share. Happy election day, y'all. Welcome again to Wednesday's Women special election episode. So this isn't a Wednesday. Well, no, this is not a Wednesday. We are filming this on a Sunday, but um, this will be coming out on election day. Happy election day. It will be Tuesday, right? Yeah. It'll be a Tuesday. Tuesday's tales. Of women from the White House. Almost from the White House. From women to the White House. From women to the White House. Um, so I just wanted to preference this episode by saying the women we're talking about today are all women that made it on the ticket. Yes, on the final. On the final general ballot. However, all these women we're talking about, we are talking about in a nonpartisan way, or we're going to do our best to talk about them in a Mm -hmm. nonpartisan way. So we will be saying things that do not, um, reflect our opinions on their political beliefs or how we feel about their candidacies. Um... This is going to be solely about, like, recognizing them as women who are doing something that women do not typically get the opportunity to do because there's the issues are stacked against us. Yeah. Um, and going to be looking at how the women during their campaigns were treated and how their uh, identities as women affected their ability to properly um, run for office. Mm-hmm. I also think it's important to note that we chose the women who have made it onto the general election ticket with two major parties. So America runs in a two-party system. Um, There have been many women on other party tickets. And in fact, there were women on other party tickets running at this time. Unfortunately, they either didn't make the final ballot or they didn't make the final ballot on the Republicans or the Democrats. This is nothing to slight third-party candidates. Um... They're just not recognized as national parties, and yeah. so um, we chose not to cover them. We'll definitely look at them in future episodes, yes. though, and just third parties in general, because they're very interesting. We should honestly be just doing an episode at some point about uh, dual party systems, because we both honestly. have a lot of opinions on dual a party systems. So if you remember, um, one of, when we talked about Shirley Chisholm, Chisholm, I couldn't remember how to say her last name. I could have spelled it for you, but... Um, she ran, but she did not make the final party ticket. So the first um, the first of four women to have made the final party ticket was Geraldine Ferraro. She was the vice president candidate in 1984, and she was selected by Mondale. Um, Ferraro was selected as the VP candidate on July 12, 1984. She stated that she was absolutely thrilled. Her personality was variously described as blunt, Feisty, spirited, and somewhat saucy. Have you ever heard a male candidate described as saucy? I've not. I've also never heard a male candidate described as feisty. I have heard them described as blunt, though. Like, JFK, I'd say, would be the only one they've, like, kind of got, like, saucy vibes from. I feel like they just called him a hot president. Yeah. Fun fact, my great-great-grandma had this giant-ass picture of JFK because she adored him. Like, like on her wall? Like, yeah. Like, in her house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's commitment to your it country. It is. Um, JFK was the first Catholic president, and oh. so she was Catholic. So. Oh, so it was like a dual. Yeah, but also he was an attractive man, and many people thought 
they would leave their husbands for JFK. Jackie yeah. probably wouldn't have minded that. Though those weren't necessarily positive characteristics, many people actually viewed her as an asset. Mondale was boring. Spoiler alert. Wow, a man who's <laughs> boring. Uh-huh. I'm shocked. Um, but even though her personality was a nice balance to Mondale's, there was a huge risk that came not only with, like, picking a woman, but Ferraro was somewhat inexperienced compared to previous VP picks, and so sometimes VP picks actually had a lot more experience than president picks. Um, even the ones we have right now, I would say, like, politically and anyhow. Yeah, sometimes it was just the VP was a boring-ass person that couldn't win a ticket. And they're like, we're going to put this dumb person with a good personality with this smart person with a crappy personality. And hopefully, like, it you've got out. it all. You've got dumb, smart, good personality, bad personality. Um, that's a common strategy because it's a winning. With Ferraro being the first woman to run on a major party national ticket in the United States, she was also the first Italian-American. And her July 19th nomination at the 1984 Democratic National Convention was one of the most emotional like moments of the DNC history. Many female delegates appeared um, and were quoted as being joyous and proud of the historic occasion. So this tells you that like women have been wanting to see representation of themselves on tickets and they just weren't. And so Mondale, though you were somewhat boring and you ultimately lost, good for the representation. Yes. In her acceptance speech, Ferraro said, as the daughter of an immigrant from Italy has been chosen to run for the vice president in the new land my father came to love. Convention attendees were in tears by the end of the speech, not just for its significant for women, but for all those who had immigrated to America. And so Ferraro was seen as, like, the true American dream. Um, she was born in America, but her father, she would have been a first-generation American. Ferraro gained immediate large-scale media attention, um, and at first, journalists portrayed her really favorably and positively because they focused on the novelty that a woman from a poor family was being selected for vice president. Um, this quickly changed, and Ferraro faced many press questions about her foreign policy and experience and would often respond by discussing her attention to foreign and national security issues while she served in Congress. Um, in fact, during the vice president debates, I watched a couple clips and she was debating one of the Bushes. I can't ever remember which Bush is which, but- They're basically the same. They are the same thing. But she was debating one of the Bushes and actually said that she was kind of disgusted with how pretentious and sort of like degrading almost he was in explaining, like trying to say, do you need me to explain foreign policy to you? And that's, like, garbage. Like, I don't need a man to explain anything to me. Like, genuinely, I don't. Except for, like, the true pain of testicular torsion. That I don't feel like I can comment on. Okay, unless you're talking to me about, like, something testicle-related, I don't need you to explain almost anything to me. Like, I will figure it out. Our society pressures men to feel that they need to, even if they don't know the person, take care of women. And, like, women are damsels that need saving. I also feel that this is there's this idea that like men should just know the answer to every question asked. Yes. Make it valid to say I'm not sure or I'm not educated enough on this topic to have an opinion or to explain anything to you. That's okay. It doesn't make you stupid. If you asked me a question about thermonuclear physics, you're going to get a no. 
Yeah, I'm going to be like, could be. Could be eight. Maybe. Could be 42. Could be. Q uh, equals 42. Q equals 42? Yeah. I forget what TV show reference that's from. I thought 42 was the meaning of life. I've also heard that. Yeah, I've also heard that. I also barely passed physics. Do you ever wonder why I went into social sciences? That's why. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't survive science. She faced a threshold of proving confidence that other high-level female political figures had ha- have had to face, especially those who might become commander-in-chief that male counterparts have not had to face. One question that is often asked of female candidates are, are you tough enough? Which is garbage. I've never seen a president have to arm wrestle anyone. Or have they ever talked about the toughness of like Joe Biden or, Do- or Donald Trump? Not in a serious way. Like, I've heard people say, like, I'm the tougher candidate or I'm the stronger candidate. But But no one's just said you're not tough. Yeah, no one's like, oh, you can't win an arm wrestling match. You're disqualified from presidency. Although there was an Ohio, I think he was an Ohio senator or Congress potential who, like, recorded himself talking about stomping his competition's face in with golf cleats. And, like... That's not... That is not okay. I've been very angry at many points in my life. I've never been like, I'm going to smash this person's face in with golf cleats. For anyone who likes John Mulaney, I'm going to stomp him with my hooves. Yeah, but then, like, also, I've never thought, like, oh, this is a compromising moment for me. Let me hit record. Yeah. Like, if you want to say that to someone that's, like, to, like, a close confidant, like, that's one thing, but then to, like, record it and run it as a political ad like no thank you did you truly believe it to be successful and imagine the criticism a woman would face if she was like she'd be out i'm gonna stomp you with my tap shoes stomp you with my tap shoes also golf cleats don't hurt that bad i've seen golf cleats i could take someone with golf cleats tap shoes fuck you up metal plate six inch heels Oh, like a stiletto heel people have been killed with stiletto heels haven't they i think so i would i'd believe it Okay. If you get it between, like, in the intercostal space, like, between the ribs. Through the eye. Okay, yeah, you could do that, too. Through the eye. If you're ever in danger, stiletto to the eye. We'll stop any attacker. Guaranteed. She drew sharp criticism from the Catholic Church. Um, and Catholic Church authorities put Ferraro on the defensive during her entire campaign. Um, she was pro-choice i don't want to say she was pro-abortion because she wasn't like you get an abortion and you You get get an abortion abortion. but she was like oh you had an abortion do you want some hot chocolate can you have hot chocolate after you have an abortion yeah i don't know if there's like rules when you get a tattoo in your lip you're not supposed to drink hot sauce it's because there's an opening in your lip yeah i just didn't know if there was a rule there was like don't drink hot drinks (laughs) important question to ask but um Abortion opponents frequently protested her appearances with a level of fervor not usually encountered by pro-choice Catholic male candidates. Um, And there are a couple reasons for this. A lot of women at the time felt like she was betraying women. Um, Statistically, people view abortion as benefiting a male more than they view it as benefiting a female. Because they see it as this man's getting rid of this embarrassing act. At the time or now? At the time. Yeah, I was going to say, now that is not the case. Now that's not the case. But at the time, people felt like abortions were people who wanted to hide something. So you were hiding an illegitimate child, or you were hiding, I guess, that you were having sex. I don't know what you were hiding, but you were hiding this kid. 
Um, and so this was like a huge issue she encountered that male candidates didn't encounter. Um, some examples of these male candidates who were pro-choice were Mario Cuomo and Ted Kennedy, both of whom faced minimal backlash for their opinions, even though Kennedy was a Catholic. Just saying. Also, wasn't it Ted Kennedy who killed a girl? They were I in the know. car together. I feel like it was Ted Kennedy who was in a car crash with a girl. Keep talking. I will look this she, up. She, um, I believe there was like alcohol or drugs or something, and they got into this huge crash, and he just left her in this car. I know it was one of the Kennedys because people were like, "If anyone but a Kennedy had done that," and like that's valid. What is his relation? Is he have a relationship to JFK? Are they not related at all? No, I think they're related. Oh, I think he's a brother or a nephew. Ted Kennedy. Oh. Ted Kennedy car crash. I could be wrong. It was like some famous politician and they were like, what the heck? How could, my thing is like, just call it in. Worst case scenario, you get a DUI. Like, which, I'm not saying DUIs aren't bad, because you do tend to lose your license now, and you brother. get a breathalyzer. He was the brother of JFK. What a breathalyzer. That's a breathalyzer. Like, to start your car, you go... Oh, I've seen those. Yes, yes. He... And it goes, yay, you haven't been drinking. I'll turn your car on. So we want to know if he killed somebody, is what we're looking to see. He passively killed someone. If he... If his incompetence resulted in someone's death is our question. Um, after several days of back and forth debate in the public media because Ferraro said that the Catholic Church's position on abortion is not monolithic, meaning like not everyone in the Catholic Church subscribes to this position, and the Catholic Church was like, uh, 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 yes they do. And so this was, like, a huge back-and-forth thing. Um, Ferraro finally conceded that while the church's position on abortion could be monolithic, that not all Catholics... Ferraro finally conceded that the Catholic church's position on abortion... You good? No. Ferraro finally conceded that the Catholic church's position on abortion is monolithic but went on to say that but i do believe that there are a lot of catholics who do not share the view of the catholic church which is true not just on abortion but like several other things like i know there are catholics who are like oh yeah that's like a catholic thing but i don't do it yeah so like i'm communion yeah like they like they don't go to church like they're not practicing in that way but yeah. yeah, but they still do, like, a rosary. Or mm -hmm. vice versa, they go to church and don't have a rosary. Um, which, I mean, you're still a valid Catholic, I would assume. Mm -hmm. I'm not Catholic. So I don't really know. I don't know if you can be, like, de-Catholic. You can be de-Catholic. What are you talking about? Do they get baptized? Yeah, they're baptized. Can you be de-baptized? No, I think it would be just, like, you were, like, excommunicated from the I church. Mean. Is that what it's called? I believe it's like in uh, we don't I'm I've never been to church a day in my life my religious background is very different than most people as I am practicing at home um but like 
I, I, I would say probably, like, excommunicated from the church. I was baptized, but... I still don't know what's going on here about if this man committed a felony. Who knows? It's a conspiracy. They've deleted Ted Kennedy's Kennedy's record. Almost positive it was Ted Kennedy, but it could have been a different Kennedy. Um, To defend Ferraro, the pro-choice group Catholics for a Free Choice placed an October 7th, 1984 full-page ad in the New York Times titled, A Catholic Statement on Pluralism and Abortion. So this was just to prove her point that not all Catholics feel like um, abortion should be determined for everyone based on their beliefs. So um, some Catholics did believe, like, I would never have an abortion, but if you want an abortion, like, clinics down the road. Also, Ted Kennedy, um, you were right. There was a car accident, and what happened was... Um, This is coming from History.com, for those of you curious. Late on the night of July 18th, 1969, a black Oldsmobile driven by U.S. Senator Edward Ted Kennedy plunged off the Dyke Bridge on the tiny island of Chappaquiddick. 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 Off Martha's Vineyard, landing upside down on the tidal Porsche Pond. Pusha Pond. The 37-year-old Kennedy survived the crash, but the young woman riding with him in the car didn't. Through newspaper headlines at the time identified her simply as a blonde she was 28 year old joe kopechny mary joe mary joe kopechny a respected political operative who had worked on the presidential campaign of senator kennedy's brother robert kennedy he drove repeatedly into the strong and murky current to try and find kopechny before making his way back to the cottage he then drove back to the scene of his cousin joseph gargan and aide paul mccain who both tried to van to reach Kopechny, I can't say Mary Jo's name, who both tried to, uh, but rather than report the accident to the police at that time, Kennedy returned to his hotel in Edgartown. Her body remained underwater for nine hours. hours until it was recovered the next morning. He did not call the police. Yeah. Because they wanted to cover it up because many people believe they could be having an affair. And also, nine hours this woman this, was left. This destroyed his political career and his Good. campaign for Good. president. Good. Good. I'm glad. I'm happy. That's the tea. Ted Kennedy, I'm happy you didn't have a career in politics after that. That's a shit thing to do. Even if you couldn't save her, like if the impact killed her and she immediately took on water. You need to call the police and like, get her body out now. Like call the police immediately. Like that's just a respect thing. Like I get like accidents happen and you can't always save everyone. I'm not saying that, like, he should have killed himself looking for her, but, like... You should have sought You called, like, seven people before you called the police, and you're like, what do I do? And they're like, go sleep it off, bud. Well, and they also were like, we'll take care of it. And they couldn't. Yeah, and they couldn't. Because, obviously, they don't have the resources to get her. Almost like we have a force designed to recover bodies from, like, a thing. Oh, no, you can drag a lake. What's that? like a big Interesting. Oh. <laughs> it's like a big thing, especially with oil spills, but there was a river by my house, and when people would jump from the bridge into the river to kill themselves, they would have to drag the river for their bodies. So you just set up nets. God, how? That's not okay. And then, like, you'd see the net, and you'd be like, did someone die? 
And sometimes they were like, oh, no, there is a massive oil spill. Don't boil your water for the next 10 days. We're like, oh, okay. Things we put up with here in the United States. It's true. <laughs> Ferraro was also criticized for saying that Reagan was not a good Christian because she said his politics hurt the poor. I struggle with the idea of good Christian because I don't think it's your place to tell someone else how they practice their religion, but I also don't think you can hide your shit takes behind religion. Like, I can't say, oh, you're a bad Christian because you don't go to church, but you also can't say, I'm allowed to be racist because God said it's fine. So, also, isn't, like, the number one thing of most Christianity denominations, like, help the poor? Outwardly. On the surface. Well, she drew criticism for that. Ferraro drew large ca- Ferraro drew large crowds on the campaign trail, many of whom wished to see the history-making candidate in person and often, chant- often chanted, Jerry, Jerry. Um, she didn't go by Geraldine a lot. I wouldn't either. Not a fan of the name. But Jerry's cute. In the days leading up to the debate, the second lady of the United States, Barbara Bush, had publicly referred to Ferraro as that $4 million, I can't say it, but it rhymes with rich. That's not me censoring myself for the podcast, that's like her genuine quote. Um, If you're gonna call someone a bitch, just have like the decency, the commitment to just be like, she's a bitch. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, you can't act tough and then walk your statement back. She did later apologize and say she hadn't meant to imply that Ferraro was a witch. Um, everyone knew that's not what she meant, and I feel like she should have just committed to it, and I would have more respect for her if she had. Agree. Um, I have little respect for you if you act like you're tough as shit, and then someone's like, did you mean she was a bitch? And you're like, I would never. Additionally, Vice President Bush's press secretary, Peter Thiele, said of Ferraro just prior to the vice presidential debate, she's too bitchy, she's very arrogant, and humility isn't one of her strong points. I think that comes through. Thiele declined to apologize for the remark, saying it had no sexist implications and that the Ferraro campaign was being hypersensitive in complaining about it. Oh, so you can throw stones, but I can't put up a shield to prevent them from hitting me i actually disagree with saying it's not sexist i think if he had said she's very arrogant and that humility isn't one of her strong points i could see that that's something commonly said of candidates like they only worry about themselves and they only care about their image Mm -hmm. but no one no one in the history of ever on a campaign side has publicly referred to a male candidate as a bitch yeah And, like, I call everyone a bitch. If you're a guy and you're bitchy, I'll say you're being bitchy. Like, that's not... I don't see it... You use it it non-gendered. Yeah, I don't see it as a gender term. I understand that it is a fairly gendered term. But, like, there's not an equivalent to bitch, really. So, like, you're a little bitch if you're a guy or a girl. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that was a very um, sexist remark. And I don't think it's being hypersensitive to say you cried for days because I said he wasn't a good Christian because he's not watching out for the poor and you're out here being like, she's a bitch. 
pretty sure God does not approve. I don't know. I don't know God, but if I were God, I wouldn't approve. T. Lee later declined to apologize. Oh, nope, nope. Ferraro's womanhood was consistently discussed during the campaign. One study found that a quarter of the newspaper articles written about her contained gendered language. On November 6, Mondale and Ferraro lost the general election in a landslide. The ticket lost Ferraro's congressional district, which had long been one of more conservative districts in New York City. And they also only won Montana and D.C. Montana was Mondale's home, and D.C. is where they both lived. So, Ferraro didn't hurt his chances, he just didn't have a chance. Um, so, one big thing that came out of Ferraro's running is that the word miss began to be popularized because the New York Times refused to use miss at the time for her, or Ms. at the time for her. The paper's iconoclastic columnist and language expert William Sapphire became convinced it ought to be part of the English language, specifically because of Ferraro's case, who was a married woman who used her birth surname professionally rather than her husband's, which was Zaccaro. Sapphire wrote in August 1984 that it would be equally incorrect to call her Miss Ferraro as she was married, or Mrs. Ferraro as her husband was not Mr. Ferraro. This is the formulation the Times eventually used for the duration of her campaign. And that, oh, he also argued that calling her Mrs. Zaccaro would confuse the reader as she did not go by that and no one recognized her by that. Two years after the finish of the campaign, the Times finally changed its policy and began using Ms. for married women who maintain their maiden, maiden name. name. Which is good. Yeah. Good job. I'm impressed with you. The next woman to make the major party ticket is Sarah Palin. Um, hey, y'all. We were around for that. We were around for that. So that was during the 2008 campaigning cycle. Um, she was also a vice president ticket. She was also a vice president candidate. And so her story begins on August 7th when she visited McCain's vacation home near Sedona, Arizona where she was offered the position of vice presidential candidate. According to Jill Hazelbaker, a spokeswoman for McCain, he had previously met Palin at the National Governors Association in Washington in February of 2008 and had come away extraordinarily impressed. Palin was the only prospective running mate who had a face-to-face -face interview with McCain to discuss joining the ticket that week. Hmm. So I feel like he pretty much knew, knew right and, away. Yeah, like just wanted to confirm in Dayton, Ohio, on August 29th, McCain announced he had chosen Palin as his running mate, which made her the first Alaskan, Alaskan. <laughs> the first Alaskan and only the second woman to run on a major U.S. party ticket. Which I think is really important because Alaska and Hawaii, I feel like, don't get enough um, perspective and, like, enough credit when it comes to uh, American politics. Yeah. So while they have representatives... Um, I feel like there's a disconnect. Yeah. Like, people are shocked when someone from Alaska or Hawaii runs from president, whereas, like, they're from South Dakota. You're like, oh, they're from South Dakota or they're from Arizona. Um, but Palin, because of this, Palin was largely unknown outside of Alaska. Um, she was really popular with Alaska, but 
outside of it, many people didn't know who she was, and her selection by McCain shocked people because he had other big-name runners that he could have chosen. On September 1st of 2008, Palin announced that her daughter Bristol was pregnant and that she intended to marry the father Levi Johnston. Super important. This is because people were very critical of Sarah Palin and the idea that her daughter would become pregnant because it was out of wedlock. She was on the younger side. She I don't like seven. She was like seventeen or eighteen. She was like a young teen, like an older old teen. teen, um, but like a young adult. And, and having a mo- like, since we typically look at women at in politics, I mean Kamala, Mamala, like we we associate their ability of being mothers of how they will be as political figures, which I don't think is a fair comparison, um, because how you are as a parent is very different than how you are at work. And you can be successful in one and less successful in the other, I would say. Like, some people aren't great at their jobs, but they're awesome parents. I agree. And I feel like, either way, like, also, it's no one's business. I also feel like you're not a bad parent just because your kid has a kid very young. No. So, like, you could say to your kid, like, when you have unprotected sex, you could fall pregnant. This is how you can safely engage in sex. The best practice is abstinence. You can preach all of that and... Your kids are going to do what they want. Yeah, like, just like you could tell your kid it's not good to drink underage, it stunts your growth, it hurts your brain development. Fear. Pure fear. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, straws? No, Oh, cool. No, you just have to drink it through the little hole on the top. Sheets intercession. Is that one's called interlude? Also, since we're having an interlude, your people are coming at five? Yeah. Okay, it's 426. We'll go quick. Okay. I just don't want you to feel, like, rushed trying to get your stuff or, like, making them wait or whatever. Mm. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So, it's really unrealistic to... Compare the two? Yeah, to judge someone because, like, oh, you're a teenage pregnant. Your daughter's a teenage pregnancy. During the campaign, another controversy that erupted was the difference between Palin's positions as a gubernatorial candidate and as as a vice presidential candidate. So, people felt like she was running for different things on different tickets and that is sort of an issue that like isn't great to have in politics because it shows that you don't have I don't want to say that you don't have morals but that you don't have like a set thought or ideals on what you're doing Mm -hmm. after McCain announced Palin as his running mate Newsweek and Time put Palin on their magazine covers as some of the media alleged that McCain's campaign was restricting press access to Palin by allowing only three one-on-one interviews and no press conferences with her. This is because her first three interviews didn't go well. And the campaign was like, fuck, 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 we gotta fix this. Don't go out in public. (laughs) Her first interview with Charles Gibson of ABC News was met with mixed reviews. 
Five days later, she held an interview on Fox News Channel's Sean Hannity, a garbage person. And Hannity went more smoothly and focused on the same questions from Gibson's interview to allow her to have, like, a second take at them. Palin's third and final interview with Katie Couric of CBS News was widely criticized. Her and McCain saw a steep decline in their poll numbers, and Republicans expressed concern that she was becoming a political liability, and many and some convention commentators called for Palin to actually resign from the presidential ticket, which is kind of a big deal once you've been yeah. announced and, like, placed on the ticket. And Had anyone ever done something like that? Like, is that Not like- that I'm aware of. I think they've been removed from the ticket for, like, death or, like, you're going to jail. (laughs) But to resign from the ticket and sometimes, like, it's too late to be pulled from the ticket. And that's why, like, in the primary there was still, like, I think Sanders and a couple other people who weren't running on the primary tickets. Palin stepped up her attacks on the Democratic candidate for president, hoping that this would deflect some of the bad press. Um, and at a fundraiser, Palin explained her new aggressiveness towards Illinois Senator Barack Obama. At a fundraising event, Palin explained her new aggressiveness towards Illinois Senator Barack Obama, saying, there does come a time when you have to take the gloves off, and that time is right now, which is kind of a nice foil to Michelle Obama's when they go low, we go high. Mm -hmm. Um, I do sort of agree that there does come a point when you have to take the gloves off, but I don't think she was at that point as she wasn't being insulted heavily by the campaign. Um, and I think that ended up hurting them a little bit just because she did come across as very sort of brassy, Mm -hmm. which we don't like in women. Not in a patriarchal society. Palin was called out for these remarks, and she said that her First Amendment right to call Obama out on his associations was threatened by attacks by the mainstream media. You technically have the right to say almost anything you want, but I also have the right to say anything I want. So I can say that you're being inflammatory or that, you know, you're saying something sexist or racist. That doesn't infringe on your First Amendment right. It doesn't guarantee free speech without consequence. Mm -hmm. Controversy arose yet again after it was reported that the Republican National Committee spent $150,000 of campaign contributions on clothing, hairstyling, and makeup for Palin and her family in September of 2008. This charge was not all, like, they weren't all charged in September. It was just found in September. And so people were very critical, and there's a couple reasons that being critical is kind of stupid yeah so sarah palin wasn't well known and so they had to build her image basically from the ground up sarah palin came from alaska so she didn't have nice pantsuits and nice dresses and formal wear um hair and makeup is generally the same price like across the board like you're paying for a service and there's minimal variation finally she's yeah. Candidates spend equally as much. And nobody talks about that and nobody cares about that because we don't like we had we had this conversation last night. Um do you ever question how much like one of Donald Trump's or Obama's suits were? No. 
We don't ask or them. Or his tie. I'm sure it's not from Goodwill. It's not from Walmart. It's not. They're not walking out here in Kmart clothes. They didn't grab the sale, wa- sale rack at JCPenney's. And so people criticized her for that. And I think that's stupid because, again, campaigns spend a lot of money to give you a good image. Like, they want you to look good. They want you to look put together. The average cost of an outfit for any campaign event is between $1,000 and $2,000 for any candidate, any event. And shoes. Men's nice shoes. So, it's really unreasonable to be, like, $150,000. Like, yeah, because you gotta look nice. You're not meeting the Queen of England in a dress from Ross. You're just not. Mm -hmm. So, campaign spokesperson stated that the clothing would be returned and going to charity after the election. Um, And Palin, along with media outlets, blamed gender bias for this controversy, and I have to agree. I agree. We're not questioning when someone wears a Saks Fifth Avenue suit, so why are we questioning her dress choice? Because she's a woman. At the end of the campaign, Palin did return the clothes to the RNC, and I believe most of them are auctioned off, so they're not just donating them to Goodwill. They auction them and then give that money to a charity. Um, in his concession speech, McCain thanked Palin, calling her one of the best campaigners I've ever seen and an impressive new voice in our party for reform and the principles that have always been our greatest strength. He did not feel that she had hurt him in the election. He did not blame her and he and she were proud to have worked together on their election. I felt that they were a very, um, Compatible. Uh, yeah, they were a very compatible yeah. pairing as, like, for a ticket. Um, and I also think, um, since the Republican Party, she was a Republic, uh, Republican she woman. She on a Republican ticket. And I think that that's really important to note, too, because, you know, uh, Republicans usually have the traditional family in mind. And having a woman step up and try to go for that male-dominated position Mm -hmm. um really kind of changed the party and the parties changed some of their perspectives i will say i would agree and i do think that was criticism she faced as like your husband's gonna be stuck with your kids like no my husband's gonna be with our kids that he is and another thing i do want to say i think that hill or sarah palin really set the stage for the last two women that we're talking about, and really is setting the stage for, I think, a woman president soon. Mm-hmm. Because it just seems like now like it, it's only escalated since her. Like, obviously, Geraldine also went through what she went through and was able to... But that was 1984. That's, like, 20 years. More than 20 years. Or, no, less like- than 20 years. Almost 20 years by the time that Sarah Palin ran. So I feel like every time a woman gets farther, future women no longer have to start at square one. So yes. Sarah Palin didn't have to start at square one like Geraldine Harris, Geraldine Ferrero did. Hillary Clinton didn't have to start where Sarah Palin started, and Kamala Harris didn't have to start where Hillary Clinton started. And whoever comes next is going to be even farther. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's so important that we talk about these women and that we vote. Yes. So, now I'm going to be talking about Hillary Clinton, most recent, um, well, not most recent, then today, 
election day that we're thinking about, but um, we're all very familiar that Hillary Clinton ran um, in 2016 election against Donald Trump on the Democratic ticket. So uh, she formally announced her candidacy for presidency um, on April 12th, 2015. Wasn't her first time running. Um, she had multiple um, she campaigns. Ran, I think three times for either president or vice president. Yes. And so she cam had a campaign in waiting already in place, including a large donor network, which experienced operatives and the rally ready for Hillary and priorities, USA action, political action committees and other infrastructure. So she did have like money and support starting out really early. Also, we should note she was very different than other political candidates because she was a first lady. Mm -hmm. um, so that also greatly affected her um, like abilities to start as a candidate. Um, <clears throat> prior to her campaign, she had claimed in an interview in NDTV in May 2012 that she would not seek the presidency again, but later wrote in 2014 her autobiography, Hard Choices, that she had not decided. Um, I also think that uh, she came out too just because there was a lot of banking between um, the Democratic and Republican parties and both mm -hmm. parties were so strongly opposed to what the other wanted that yes. I think that's another reason why she went back out was just that she wanted to give her two cents essentially <laughs> um, and the campaign's headquarters was established in the New York City borough of Brooklyn so her campaign focused on raising middle class incomes, establishing universal preschool, making college more affordable, and improving the uh, Affordable Care Act. Initially considered a prohibitive favorite to win the Democratic nomination, Clinton faced an unexpectedly strong challenge from Democratic Socialist Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who we saw also had a strong campaign um, before Biden ended up being the primary uh, Democratic yeah, candidate. Yeah, he really held a strong campaign both in 2016 and in 2020. Yeah, especially in the beginning, and honestly, like, hot take, I think that Bernie would have gotten the ticket this year if the DNC was less of a bitch. Yeah. Hot take. Hot take. It is a hot take, but I also feel like um, you really don't stand a chance when I think it was, like, four moderate candidates all drop out within a week of each other and endorse one moderate candidate. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. You can't win. I'm sorry. I agree, and I think the reason they all did that was just because they – didn't want Bernie because Bernie was winning so mm -hmm. extremely in the beginning. Um, but Bernie's longtime stance against the influence of cor corporations and the wealthy in American politics uh, resonated with a dissatisfied citizenry troubled by the effects of income inequality in the U.S. and tra uh, tra tra contrasted with Clinton's Wall Street ties, um, which is one of the reasons why I kind of always struggled with her and her husband was I, like... They come from, like, pretty normal, like, backgrounds. Yeah. And they've been very lucky. And I don't think that they always think for the normal person. I agree. And I also think it kind of hurt her being a first lady. Because, like, yes. you just said her and her husband. In very few other times have we seen a spouse critiqued as harshly as a presidential candidate. And so she was critiqued both for her objectives and, and her his. spouse's objectives. Yeah. And his shortcomings as a president. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So in the initial contest of the primary season, Clinton only very narrowly won the Iowa Democratic Caucus, held February 1st over an increasingly popular Sanders, the first woman to win them. 
Um, in the first primary held in New Hampshire in February 9th, she lost to Sanders by a wide margin, and Sanders was an increasing threat in the next contest, which was in the Nevada caucus on February 20th, but she managed a 5% point win, aided by final days campaigning among casino workers, um, and obviously that worked because she got that narrow victory, but like, all of this is just crazy because like, it's really hard to see... It wouldn't have been that difficult to see a, a Bernie against Trump uh, 2016 election based on No, because they were close pretty much the whole time. Um, following the Nevada caucus, Clinton uh, was lopsided, had a lopsided victory in the South Carolina primary in February 27th. These two victories stabilized her campaign and showed an avoidance of the mar- management turmoil that harmed her 2008 effort. So she was formally nominated in for, at the 2016 Democratic National Convention in Philly on July 26, 2016, becoming the first woman to be nominated for president by a major U.S. political party, which obviously is really good for women because we need somebody to be the first for anyone else to come mm-hmm. after. Um, her choice of vice presidential running mate, Senator Tim Kaine, was nominated by the convention the following day. And here's something. I thought about this while we were doing this episode, and I didn't want to bring it up because I wanted to be surprised. I couldn't remember who her vice presidential candidate was because I really don't think it mattered at the time. Like, nobody ever talked about it. It didn't matter, <laughs> and he's also, like, kind of an unimpressive guy. So, like, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, but, like, I never, like, even when we were in the midst of it, never heard anything about him. It no, was only he, about Trump and Clinton. Like, it was never about, like, VPs very, very, had very little pull in my, from my knowledge and, like, my experience. And I would argue that both as, both vice presidential picks were unimpressive, basically. And so had Trump not won, I think people would struggle to remember that Pence was his vice president. Because neither of them are, like... Memorable. Yeah, neither of them are big names that you're like, oh, like... Obama-Biden was a big-name ticket. Mm-hmm. McCain-Palin yeah. was yes, a I agree. historic yeah. ticket. McCain and Palin was also a very, like, everyone remembers. Yeah, Clinton and Kane wasn't. No, it wasn't. Just Clinton. <laughs> sorry, Tim Kane. Yeah, sorry, Tim Kane. Uh, Clinton held a significant lead in national polls over Trump throughout most of 2016. In early July, uh, Trump and Clinton were tied in major polls following the FBI's conclusion of its investigation into her emails, um, which was a major controversy. FBI Director James Comey concluded Clinton had been extremely careless in her handling of classified government material through her internet and her emails. Um, As we know, that was a major tactic used all throughout um, the The entire campaign. Yeah. It was used to derail a lot of different debates and everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm not excusing it. She's not the first person to do it, and she's not the last. No. And Trump's that's, campaign has been reported several times as storing government information in non-secure servers, which is basically, like, I email Caitlin through, you like... You need a NordVPN. Through, yeah. <laughs> Michael Reeves, where are you yeah. at? Yeah. Um, through, like, a Gmail. And I'm like, hey, d- can you look over this file for me? It's not secure. Anyone can hack Gmail. Yeah. And so? So, obviously... Bad faux pas. Bad faux pas all around. But, as we all know, Clinton was defeated by Donald Trump in the November 8th, 2016 presidential election. Um, By the early morning hours of November 9th, Trump had received 279 projected electoral college votes with 270 needed to win. 
Um, media sources proclaimed him the winner. Clinton then phoned Trump to concede and to congratulate him on his victory, whereupon Trump gave his victory speech. Um, I also think it's really important to note, like we already said about the fact that she was a first lady, another mm-hmm. big reason why her campaign was so crazy was the fact that um, her husband cheated while he was in office, and it was public knowledge, and so that made it seem like, how can you be a good wife if your husband cheats on you? Like, almost putting the blame on her, like, why wouldn't he have cheated? And um, then that kind of, like, messed up her political campaign because people saw her as an a... I also think she took flack for staying with him. Yes, People I agree wanted too. her to leave. I agree, too. And Trump held what was clearly a very effective strategy of... she. He called in women that Bill Clinton had been with. Yes, and had them in the audience. And he had a panel discussion with them prior yeah. to a press conference. And they spoke about um, Hillary contacting them and saying not to speak to Bill, that they weren't willing to settle for anything. Um, while what Bill did is shitty, and there is definitely a power struggle involved, all of his affairs were consensual. I just think that's important to point out. They were definitely wrong, not just because they were affairs, but, but because also the power struggle. he held a position of power over all of them, but I will say every woman consented to yeah. he didn't rape anyone and but also he made poor choices that's all yeah poor choices of his and i don't think the woman should be blamed for being cheated on literally unless woman b drugs woman a's boyfriend and sleeps with the boyfriend the woman is not almost never at fault for cheating it's typically always on right and I, and I will say, too, another thing the cheater. that... Yeah, I agree. And something else I wanted to say about... Um, the next morning, Clinton made a public concession speech in which she acknowledged the pain of her loss, but called for her supporters to accept her as their next president, saying, we owe him an open mind and a chance to lead. Um, and I think that's really honorable. And I wish all candidates felt like that. Like, mm-hmm. I like this upcoming election, like, almost like who... I don't know if I care. Like, I care who wins, but, like, whoever does win, I really hope... Isn't, like, a dick about it. Yeah, and also whoever loses is willing to put aside their feelings and be like, listen, we need to support this person, and we need to figure out how we can best work as a country again because we're so divided. We often talk about sore losers, but rarely do we talk about sore winners. I agree. Um, Though Clinton lost the election by capturing only 232 electoral votes to Trump's 306, she did win the popular vote by more than 2.8 million votes, or 2.1% of the voter base. That's another thing that we should do an episode on, which is electoral versus popular vote. Yes. Yeah. Other things we have major opinions on. Um, She is the fifth presidential candidate in the U.S. history to win the popular vote, but lose the electoral college vote. Um... She won the most votes of any candidate who did not take office in the third most votes of any candidate in history. Um, and though she did not have the greatest percentage win of uh, losing a candidate, Andrew Jackson won the popular vote by 10.4%, but lost to John Quincy Adams. Other people that are trash because we ended up... Tune in for us ranking the president's least to worst. Yeah. The fact that the uh, House of Representatives had to get um, into their election and there was a lot of corruption, like, it's just a bad. It was just a bad. And that brings us up to the present day, which is uh, Kamala Harris, who is running running, uh, with Joe 
Joseph Biden. And uh, in May 2019, senior members of the Congressional Black Caucus endorsed the idea of a Biden-Harris ticket. Um, in late February, Biden won a landslide victory in the 2020 South Carolina Democratic primary with the endorsement of House Whip uh, Jen Clyburn um, and with more victories on Super Tuesday. In early March, Clyburn suggested Biden choose a black woman as a running mate, commenting that African-American women needed to be rewarded for their loyalty, which I kind of really hate that statement. Um, in March, Biden committed to choosing a woman for his running mate. I hate that statement because being rewarded for their loyalty is not fair to them. That's demeaning their... He could have, like, done so much more. He could have literally just stopped it. I think you should choose an African-American woman as your running mate. And be done. And that's that, fine. Like, that could have been the quote, and people would have been like, yeah, you're right. Or be like, you know, people of color need to see representation. And a huge critique of Biden is he doesn't understand the pe the struggle of people of color. Yeah. And so you need to put someone on. That would have been fine. Yeah. But, like, how did you mess it up? Mess so it up. bad. Yeah. On April 17th, 2020, Harris responded to media speculation and she said she would be honored to be chosen as Biden's running mate. In late May, in relation to the death of George Floyd and ensuing protests and demonstrations, Biden faced renewed calls to select a black woman to be his running mate, highlighting the law enforcement credentials of Harris and Val Demings, um, who was the other person mm -hmm. in uh, the potential, potential candidates yeah, to be his running mate. On June 12th, the New York Times reported that Harris was emerging as the front runner to the Biden's running mate, and she is the only African-American woman with the political experience typical of vice presidents. Um, on June 26th, CNN reported that more than a dozen people close to the Biden search process considered Harris one of Biden's top four can contenders, along with Elizabeth Warren, Val Demings, and Keisha Lance Bottoms. And then on August 11th, 2020, Biden announced that he had chosen Harris. She is the first African-American and the first Indian-American to be given the opportunity to run as, like, as vice president, as a woman. And the third woman after Geraldine Farrow and Sarah Palin to be picked as the vice presidential nominee for a major p political party ticket. Um, and something that I think it's really important to note is um, not only... I feel that her... She's getting a lot of not slack but like or not slack flack not a lot of flack but like due to her gender but she's also facing a lot of uh racial biases um and I think that plays a really big um part to her story in comparison to the other three women we've talked about because all of them have been white women mm -hmm. and so their experience running for the ticket was much easier because um, when you look at like misogynistic views, they all start to pile up. So if you're a if you're a woman, it's one thing, but if you're a white woman, it's a little bit less tricky than if you're a African American woman because mm -hmm. then you have two different um, intersecting identities playing a role into how people view you. I also think that Biden kind of hurt Harris when he said he was committed to picking a woman. Not because committing to picking a woman is a bad thing, but it gave people the potential to say she wasn't selected based on of her potential or yeah, her abilities. Like saying she doesn't and have the saying, merit required, though she does. But and also saying that you're we think you should pick someone who is a African American woman. So it's almost like boiling down her entire personality into her gender and race. And that's really a shame because I don't feel like that because here's the thing, if we had, 
I don't know. We've never heard something like this before. We've never heard any other presidential candidate saying you should pick, like, I don't know, a man from Manhattan. You know what I mean? It's just, it's ridiculous. You know, it's trying to appease the people, and they're doing it, in, but they're not, they're not doing it in the right way. Yeah, I just think when you say we're committed to picking whatever it is, you are sort of handicapping their potential. Because I agree. people are going to say they weren't picked for their strong suits and they aren't valued for their strong suits. They're only selected and valued for an arbitrary thing they bring to the table, which right. is garbage. <sighs> but... This has been the election special. <laughs> this has been Fox News' presidential debate. Um, this has been a we really fun episode Fox. to do. We hope that you all go out and uh, vote today or have already sent in your information and um, cast your ballots. We are excited to see the um, what will come from this election and what other political opportunities will be given to women, no matter who is the um selected winners obviously we hope to see that no matter who wins uh we will continue to see more women in politics and we will continue to be able to talk about new people who are trying to make changes and don't forget that the presidential election is not the only yes. election on the ballot there is attorney general in some states house some states have governors house of representatives state house of representatives senate state senate all of those are elected positions, and those officials arguably have more impact on your life than the president. Actually, Agreed. they have very, Agreed. very stunted power in comparison to the president. I agree. So remember to check your entire ballot and research all of the candidates, and tag us in any pictures of you putting your ballot in the mail or with your "I voted" sticker. Are we doing "I voted" stickers this year? We better. I didn't get one one year, and I was actually high key salty. They did not have stickers when I voted. I think that's garbage. I, I do too. Should drone them in, drop them mm-hmm. like supplies during war times. But this has been this episode, and we look forward to seeing you guys next week, where we get back on track and tomorrow. provide you more. Ep- yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> more so episodes of Wednesday's Women. This has been Wednesday's Women, sponsored by the Clarion University CU Engaged Coalition. The thoughts and ideas presented in this podcast are meant to be for entertainment purposes first and foremost, and we do not claim to be experts in any field. As always, thank you for listening, and make sure that you go out and register to vote.